I want to just complete, um, I started a series, well, a two-week thing uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I want to finish it. Don't ever let it be said that I never finish a series. <laughs> so, it's based on Ezra chapter 3. Do I need to read the whole chapter again? Do you, do you want me to read the whole chapter? Or shall I, I think given the time, I think I'm just going to bring out the main points if we can get it. We were looking at, read it for yourself at home, okay? Ezra chapter 3. It was just that basically God spoke to me through a number of things from this chapter. And uh, this is going to be, I'll explain in a moment, I think, I think this is going to be the last message that, that we bring in this season on the whole thing of building foundations. Um, on the restoration period, Ezra, Nehemiah, the prophets there. I think this is going to be the last one because God's moving us into a new season. Uh, but I want to finish this off before we move on. And I was basically talking about when we're, we're building God's house, and we know that's what we're doing, that's what we're about. We're building God's house. We realize it's God's house, don't we? You know, it's not my house. It's not your house. It's not our house. It's God's house. Yeah? And, and, and He's got to do the building. In fact, He's the one who's building the house. We just get to be Blessed that we were partners with him in what he's building. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. There's no point. We're wasting our time. And But he said, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think if we try to do it, we haven't necessarily got the promise that the gates of hell ain't going to prevail against it. But if he's doing the building, then the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I also want to say before, this is just introductory things, before we look at the chapter... Some of you may remember a few months ago, I spoke again, I was speaking on Ezra Nehemiah, and I talked about, just personally, just my own heart is, in what we're building, is not so much anymore, as it once was, the size of the gathering. I'm more interested in the scope of our influence than I am in the size of our gathering. Now, don't get me wrong... I want more and more people to come along and worship Jesus with us. I want this place to be full and bursting at the seams. And I believe it one day will be again. But I'm much more interested in the scope of our influence. And and I said at that time, maybe we're already a church of a thousand. If you consider all the people that we influence, Biker's Breakfast, for example. When you incorporate all those people that we are influencing, not only through our community activities, but individuals in their everyday worlds. That's an expression of church. So I'm more concerned about the scope of our influence than I am about the size of our gathering. It's just talking personally now, in my own prayers before God. But there's another thing that I want to say that comes even before the scope of our influence. Because it's important what we're influencing people with. Isn't it? I mean, we might have a big scope of influence, but if we're influencing them with bad stuff, you know. Thank God we're not. But there's something that comes before the scope of our influence... And that's the depth of our transformation. And all that we've been about is about the depth of our transformation, digging those foundations. I'm talking about personal transformation towards Christ-likeness. I want to be more like Jesus. I know I've got a long way to go, but I want to become more like him. And I'm also talking about a cultural corporate transformation as well. So we are like what we've just heard read from Colossians. Okay, bear that in mind. And anyway... I talked about some requirements that I see in Ezra 8 if we're going to build right. And these are not just for foundations, these are from building for the future as well. So I'm going to very quickly go through them. 
uh, and then I'm going to say something, well, I hope, time allowing, there'll be something to say about the last four. So the first one was, we need to have authentic unity, real unity, the people assembled together as one. A house divided against itself cannot stand. We need to have real, authentic unity. And if you weren't here last week to hear Ness Wilson speaking on relational health, please do listen to it. It's on the internet. It's on our website. Please listen to it. It's absolutely important. And as we're going after unity in these last few, um, this last bit of the season where we're establishing foundations, please, I appeal to you, do not paper over the cracks. Do not just throw in any old rubble and hope that that will do. Let's do this properly so we're moving forward together in authentic unity. Secondly, I said we need spiritual leadership. And it talks about leadership in that chapter, beginning to build and supervising. And again, we need leaders. We're all to do this, but we need certainly leaders who, whilst they are listening to people, they are above all because you can get pulled in different ways as leaders. As it, you know, It's not about trying to keep people happy. It's not about doing what's popular or what's expedient or what's faddish. It's about doing what the Holy Spirit is saying. And all the time as a leadership team, where we listen to people, but we're saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want us to do at this moment, in this season, as we build your house? So it needs spiritual leadership if we're going to build right. (laughs) I've got to be careful. I don't preach this message again. So moving quickly on. Next one. Biblical understanding. It says a number of times they were doing what they were doing in accordance with what was written in the Scriptures. And again, if you realize... The scriptures let us know that we are part of a big story, a big plan. And if we realize that, whatever season you're going through, even if it's a difficult and challenging season, if you know what God is doing in it all, it helps you to get through it. And so having a biblical understanding, again, not just going by our feelings or the latest charismatic craze, but having a biblical understanding as to what we're doing. And then fourthly, it was um, generous giving. And we talked about giving and... um, the key verse that I know we are going to do some more teaching in the new year about where we're at with all the shifting around of uh, understanding on tithes and offerings and giving and so on. But the basic principle, well, one fundamental principle I brought from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. It's got to come from the heart. If, it, if we're changing what we do, let it be out of conviction and not out of convenience. But it's coming because it's coming out of the heart. But I was talking to Dan earlier in this week as well, and he reminded me as well as the principle of stewardship. You know, you can you can not give, or you can give because you feel somebody's told you you ought to, or you might give out of a good heart. But he reminded me, we've got to give when we understand that it's all his anyway. And we're just called to steward what he's given us, and we're asking him, Lord, what do you want me to do with what you have given me? And I'm just reminded of that principle of stewardship and we're gonna, we'll, probably, we'll probably do some more on that. Anyway, I want to very quickly in 15 to 20 minutes go through another four. i just touch upon a couple of things that God's just put on my heart over the last few days. And the first one is sacrificial service. And I called it hard work last week or a couple of weeks ago. Because, you know, building church is hard work. It's hard work. Just building relationships and building good, healthy relationships is hard work. But building church... It requires sacrificial service. And I know that some of you have been burnt on this issue. You've either burnt out or you've had your fingers burnt on it. But B, I, I do get that. I, I, my heart goes out to you. I, I, I regret and apologize for any part I played in people getting burnt 
by feeling that demands were being placed upon them rather than it coming out of a heart of faith and service to the Lord, which is what it's got to come from. And in fact, actually, the, the, the scripture that... And, and, and at the same time, I want you to say, I'll balance that with the fact that building God's house will involve sacrificial service. It will. Building God's house will not just fit conveniently around our lives. It will require sacrifice. It will require commitment. But it's, it's how we get this. It's got to come from the heart rather than somebody compelling us. It's got to come out of a sense of this is what God wants us to do in a family together, aware of all the needs, aware of what we've committed ourselves to, but it coming from the heart. And so the very principle that applies to giving also applies to serving. Give what you decide in your heart to give, not reluctant or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And all we'll be doing is asking to people is for you to decide, not because anybody's got your arm up your back, but for you to decide what is God calling you to do. At this time, as we move into a new season, we need to have a, a, um, we need to have a stock take, as it were, financially, and also what resource have we got for the things that we'd like to do? Maybe we can't do all the things that we'd like to do. We've got to pull back a little bit. And what will help us to do is if people are making quality decisions of the heart of what they can give in their time and their energy, and that we just do it in conversation together, okay? So it's not a case of, well, I'm not doing that. But it's more a case of, okay, this is what I'm able to give. Where can I best serve? So that's to do with the heart motivation. But here's another thing that will help you. Do it with a sense of vision. So it's so much easier to serve when we understand what we're building. And I love Sarah's reminded us a couple of times. You know, if we think we're building this great cathedral, because sometimes you're just in the thick of putting stone upon stone and getting mortar on on whatever you do when you're building, I don't know. But, but all the stuff. But if we just remind ourselves, this is what we're building. I love the old preacher's story. It's been a, it's been a few years since I told it, so I think I can get away with it. The old preacher's story of the two boys, two boys, and each of their fathers worked in the same factory making airplanes, the airplane factory. But if you ask one little boy, he says, what does your dad do? So I don't know, he works on some kind of assembly line. He works in a factory, screws on a few bolts or, or a few nuts and bolts and stuff like that. But you ask the other boy, he says, what does your dad do? He says, my dad builds airplanes. And it just depends on how you think about it. You could think, you know, I'm just, I'm on the kids' road to this week. Or you could think, I get the privilege of helping parents to disciple their children in the principles and the power of God's kingdom. You don't do it for them, by the way. You help them <laughs> to do it. All right, that's important. Or you might say, oh, I'm, I'm on base this week. Hey, Robin. <laughs> I don't know why I just happened to be walking over this way when I said that. <laughs> I'm playing base this week. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm on the road to. Oh. You would never do that, right? I'm not, this is, but rather you come say, I get to, I get to play a part in helping God's people come into His presence and to worship Him. So, so the more we can have that kind of sense of vision of what it is we're doing, that will help us. So there's a heart motivation and making sure we don't abuse that, but we, we get a clear heart decision before God. And then there's the vision. And there's another thing, by the way, just want to throw this out there because service should be about Doing what we can do to help build God's house. It's not about finding my gift. To be honest with you, when you get on with serving in God's house, you'll soon discover gifts you never knew you had. Uh, it's just that, I think it was Harry Truman, or one of the American presidents said this. He says, it's amazing how much you can get done when you don't care who gets the credit. We're just all together mucking in, doing what we can do, using to the best of our ability to build God's house. Okay. There's a whole sermon there, but I'm moving on. 
multi-generational family. Multi-generation. You see there are sons and brothers working together. There's sons and fathers. And I'm sorry it's all male because it was at that time. But now it's open to male and female. Uh, mothers and daughters, sisters, brothers, fathers. It's multi-generational family. This is so important. You know, we talk about building a cathedral. Can you? The generational continuity is so important. That those who are building in one generation pass on their vision, the, under, the plan, their understanding, their skills to a new generation if that cathedral, if that temple is going to be built. Multi-generational, it not just being the oldens or the younguns, but it being every generation involved. It's so important. I believed in this for years. I don't know why God first started speaking to me about this years ago. Malachi 4.6, the heart of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. It's that generational continuity. So important. I know there's a you know, I know there's a trend these days. In fact, I was talking to Julie Helms, who'd been to Australia recently. She said she went to one church and they, they suddenly felt they were the, the oldest by far because it was just full of young people. And she said, surely church is meant to be multi-generational. It was a great church, but surely it's meant to be multi-generational, isn't it? I mean, I've wondered, you know, sometimes because it does seem to be the thing these days, the craze these days to be kind of very young and I, if I say the word hip, that gives away that I'm not young, doesn't it, really? If I say, but, but young and kind of with it and, and trendy. I've even thought, honestly, I've even thought maybe we should change the name of the church to, I don't know, Reckless or something like that. Or, and, I, and I've thought of, I've thought myself I should come wearing skinny jeans and uh, some of those pixie boots and, uh, I don't know, t-shirt and get a tattoo or something. What? Why are you laughing so much, Steph? Oh, 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 just laugh. Yeah. You can see it now. Yeah, thanks. I thought even I'd grow my hair a bit longer and get in a ponytail or, or what's one of those things they put the top, a top knot? They're crazy. Um, what's it called? A man bob. Yeah, I'm going to come with a man bob one Sunday. How about that? Yeah. Or, 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 I could just be myself. <laughs> and you could just be yourselves. And we're all just, whatever background we've come from, whatever generation from, we just work together in building God's house. But folks, it's a serious thing. We've got to be multi-generational. And I, and I, I promise you, I tell you, it's such a vital thing as this. That's why the enemy goes after it. It is, I, I personally have a, have a, have a belief that the divide between generations probably does in the long term can do more damage than even the divide between gender or social class, or ethnic group, whatever. I think the divide between generations in terms of what seeking to build can, can be even more damaging. All of them are wrong, of course. It's vitally important. And I just, I just had this picture as we're preparing this, and I don't know, just, just go with me for a bit. We might do this later on. We've perhaps already begun to do it. I just had this picture of, say for example, I could put up your hand now, I could say put up your hand now if you're 60 plus. But I won't. Because there's some of you just crossed over that border who really it's going to be a, it's going to cause you pain. I realise. So I, I, I uh, <laughs> but um, I just maybe I just saw, for example, those guys pulling something out of, drawing something out of, encouraging something out of those of us who are fifty plus, low fifties. Okay, I know I look, I look younger than I am, honestly, and. Uh, and those 50s in the 50s calling something out of the 40s and the 40s calling out of the 30s and the 30s and the, out of the 20s and, the, and so on. But then, of course, well, you, 
You can leap generations as well. So the 60s are going to be calling something out of the 20s, just drawing something out of them. I thought we got a lovely and a great young man in our church. I was going to say Andy Dale. Andy's a great, well, he's not so young, but he's a great man. <laughs> what? what? I mean, I mean, sorry, Andy. Not so young as your son, I mean. That's what I was going, that's what I meant to say. I was going, to, I was going to, talking about Sam. Sam Dale is a great young man, and every time I, I see him, I try to remember to call out a gift of encouragement from him. He's got a great gift of encouragement. But it's not just a gift, you know, it's a, it's a fruit. And I find myself these days, don't get me wrong, I'm not down on gifts. We need all the gifts. But I find myself longing to see the fruit of the Spirit. I was with uh, Ian Russell a few months ago, just talking with him. And again, he, he said the same thing that just so resonated in my heart. He said, we've put so much emphasis on the gifts over the years. I feel a real longing to see the fruit of the Spirit emerging. And I think it's significant that that's what Ness was doing last week. Patience, kindness, compassion, gentleness. Let's call the fruit out of one. The gifts will come. The gifts are like the flowers on the plant, you know, but the, the most important thing is the fruit. Let's call fruit out. Can you imagine saying, I don't know, Michelle, you, you bring such peace with you when you come amongst us and you, there's just something about the peace of God which just blesses us and, and just, you know, you know, the gift or the fruit of peace is such a good gift. And Michelle's thinking, and we'd all be thinking, that, you should see me, I'm not really peaceful at all, but you, you see, <laughs> when, when all the stuff at school, if you could see it, oh, yeah, I, I get that. But the thing about calling it out is it's calling out what you don't realize is there. You see, you think, I'm the opposite. Somebody called Joy out of me the other day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I thought, you, you don't know me. You know, I'm, I'm a glass, you know this, I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. And even, even then I'm worried somebody's going to knock the glass over and spill it, you know. So, I mean, I, I, I and while it's the half, it's evaporating. But anyway, that's, anyway. But they called Joy out of me. I believe it's a season where we need to be calling the fruit of the Spirit out of one another across the generations. Amen? Multi-generations. I want to say, and, and I just want to remind you as well that I am making a personal commitment. This is the heart of all the leadership, but I'm making a personal commitment. One of my main priorities as we move into the new season is to see a new generation of leadership uh, drawn up, called out, and not just uh, right across the generations. Leaders in the world, leaders in the church, and yes, Church leaders, we need to see new church leaders emerging. Wholehearted worship. I don't have to say much about this, because this is our heart anyway. But when they laid the foundations, they worshipped with all their hearts. They let a shout of praise to God. There should be a verse with that. Oh, that's gone rightly messed. That's really messed up, hasn't it? Ignore that. Okay. Wholehearted worship. I believe, in fact, we'll get Marcus to show this at some point. Um, a prophetic word came a couple of years ago for moving up in the north. He was speaking to the Pioneer Network, but it's not really limited to the Pioneer Network. God is going to be moving in a new way in the north of our country. And one of the key things was that worship is a key to the release of what God wants to do. I believe that with all my heart. And so um, I believe we're moving into a new day. There is an awakening of a new day about to come, to dawn. And the psalmist says, I will awaken the dawn I will arise and sing. I believe we're going to sing the new day into existence. We're going to worship the new day into existence. Okay. I, I believe in about worship. We need to recover certain things. I believe God's going to add so much more, but we need to recover certain things. And here's the thing. I was thinking about this. 
recovering something, you know, it can be a real pain, can't it? You can just, well, I built this once already. And now I've got to try and build it again. I've been here before. I just, oh. This recovery. But it's important. But we are rebuilding something which we had and which we let go of or, or whatever reason. We're rebuilding something. Not in every aspect, but in certain things. But this is what I felt the Holy Spirit said when I was kind of bemoaning that myself a little bit. That recovery is exhausting sometimes. I believe the Holy Spirit says that when you, in the, as you recover certain things, you're going to uncover certain things you didn't know were there. So you know, again, I'm going to talk about something I really don't know anything about in a minute, but if you come to restore a house, and you might think, well, that old fireplace has got to come down. You've got to pull the whole fireplace down, knowing you're going to have to rebuild it. But how about when you pull it down, you suddenly realize there was some stonework there, or something. Help me out here, those of you who have done this. There's something in there. You think, oh, wow, I can use that. I didn't know that was there. So what, you are rebuilding the fireplace, but there's new stuff in it. And I believe that's going to happen in the worship. In fact, I want to pray for the worship team before we finish. I believe something's going to happen in the worship where as we're recovering certain things, we're also uncovering gifts. There's gifts in that team that we they didn't even know they had. And we're going to uncover gifts as we're recovering things in kind of worship. Anyway, that's that's the main thing. Oh, yeah, one more thing about that, and I'll do my last point. Um. Some people, this is not a judgment or a criticism at all, but in the rebuilding, and this is going to be the last word on rebuilding. I don't mean this particular word I'm going to speak now. I mean this sermon I'm preaching. As a church, we're moving on. But in the rebuilding process, and looking back at all that we've been through, that's what I'm talking about. We're not going to talk about this anymore after this. Some of you got weary. You got wearied in the walk, and you got wearied in the work. By the way, it was, just point this out because I will come back to this one day. Pilgrims build the temple. Your walkers are your best workers. But that's another word right there. I'll bring that another time. Anyway, in the walking and in the working, you got tired. And what it's affected is your worship. It's not that you don't love God any less, but God wants to restore a fresh passion and a fresh vitality to your worship. And that includes the gifts that you bring as part of that worship. There's people who've brought the song of the Lord before now. It's time to refresh that and revitalize that. There's people who've brought prophetic gift as a part of an expression of worship. Again, it's time to see that freshened up and revitalized. And I pray for you that you'll know a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit as we move into a new day. And your worship, it's not that it's been bad, it's not that you love God less, but you've been wearied in the work. And now God wants to renew you in your worship. And then finally, in, you get to the end of Ezra and Nehemiah, and some are shouting for joy, and some are, yeah, that's it, and some are weeping. And different commentators have different feelings. It could be tears of joy, but it could be the crying because they saw the glory of the old temple, and now, well, we've only got foundations for this one we're building now, and so there's weeping there. I prefer that. I prefer that interpretation, but that might be because I'm miserable. I don't know, because I'm a glass half empty person. I don't know. But anyway, I'm not miserable, really. I just reject that confession, okay? I've got joy in me. Amen. But um, the thing is, folks, we get emotionally engaged in building God's house. There's weeping and there's joy, because this isn't something we take lightly. This is not just a little club. In fact, I've got, I've got more time for people, because they're emotionally engaged in it, get mad with me. Than I have with people who just couldn't care less. 
uh, it's important to be emotionally engaged. Here's the thing, though, just to bear in mind. And I think probably if I look back, and again, I'm not going to talk about this anymore after this point. As I look back over the last six years, the main lesson I've learned is for the need and the importance of emotional health. Um, Ness talked last week about relational health. Well, here's the thing. You can't have relational health unless you go after emotional health. That is just being aware of what's going on inside of you. Those pains and those wounds and those frustrations, where are they coming from? And you can't just blame others. You have to look at what's going even when other people have hurt you, and as necessary that happens. But how do we handle those painful emotions? And here's the thing, folks. Emotional health and the management of pain, the inner emotional pain, it is largely a do-it-yourself job. I don't mean you do it on your own. Others can help you for certain. And you should seek help when you need it. But you have to take responsibility for it. You know, DIY. <laughs> Any of you who know me for just a few years, you know I do not like DIY. I hate it, in fact. I, I would get a friend in to help me. And when I say, can you come and help me with this, what I really mean is, can you do it while I hold your coat? That's what... Uh, um, I'll make you a cup of coffee. Can you do it? Yeah, so... It's a few, a few of you nodding there. Yeah, I've been there. I know that. Um... Or I'll pay somebody to do it. But when it comes to my emotional health, my pain management, as it were, it is largely a do-it-yourself thing. I have to take responsibility for my own pain. And, and in this journey of emotional health, and by the way, I just want to make this very, very clear, I'm speaking to you as a novice on this journey. I'm, I'm still in the early stages of this journey, but I'm not speaking as an expert. I'm speaking on a, as a novice. But I'm, can I say this? As we all go on our journey of emotional health, can we be kind to one another? Because <laughs> it's, like, it's difficult, isn't it? And we're all messing it up sometimes. But let's be kind to one another. One of my favorite quotations in recent years is one of my favorite little sayings. I don't generally like, I don't really generally like these little sayings. You have them in school all the time. Like They say to the, our, our, our kids just before the exams, if you believe it, you will do it or something like it. If you believe you can, you will. And I'm thinking, if you do the blooming revision, you'll do all right. You know, you'll do, you know, if you work hard, you will. You know, if you believe it, oh yeah, I believe I'm going to get a grade nine. No, no, you've got to do the work. You know, so I don't like these things, generally speaking. But there's a saying which has gone around the last few years, which I do love. And it's this. Be kind. Because you don't know what battles people are fighting. You know, the lady on the, you got a bit snappy with on the uh, supermarket checkout because she wasn't going fast enough. You don't know what she's going through. So be kind. Can we just, because I know how slow I am on the journey, but can we be kind to one another as we're going on this emotional journey together? And my last appeal on this, because it takes me to my conclusion, is um, the people who were weeping were looking back. Please, 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 don't let your pain lock you into the past. Don't let your pain lock you in. Don't circle around it. God wants to move you on. Don't let your pain lock you into the past because there is a new day about to dawn for us as a church. I'm saying to all the preachers who, who preach on a Sunday morning, we ain't going to talk about 
the journey anymore. We're not going to talk about the foundations. We're going to talk about the new day that God is bringing us into. And God spoke to us about the altar, the foundations, and then it says the gates. And the gates speak about looking outward and looking forward. And that's where we're going, folks. And I want every single one of us to be fully involved in that and to be flourishing in that. So don't let your pain lock you into your past. With the help of the Holy Spirit, do what you need to do. And let's move forward together into a new day. Amen? Amen.